Welcome to the Eat Well, Sleep Great, Run Far podcast. My name is Will Franz, and I'm here to help you go farther, faster, and longer without injuries, gut problems, or giving up your favorite foods. This episode was originally recorded as a weekly live in the Trail and Ultra Running Nutrition group on Facebook. If you'd like to join these lives, watch past replays, or get any of the written summaries I do for these weekly, please head to the link in the show notes, drop me a comment, I'm happy to help you out. Now, let's get on with the episode. Hi everyone, happy Tuesday. We are live. So I... I'm going to spend a day talking about downhills and a few other things, but I'd actually like to open with like a moment of vulnerability, because lately it has been a bit of a struggle. As a lot of you know, if you've been watching this for a bit or watching me for a bit, I was over overweight as a teenager, I carried too much fat, whatever you want to call it, and I worked very hard in my early 20s to get lean and strong, and that led to a life of overexercise and injuries and all sorts of stuff. Since then, my weight has gone up and down a few times, most notably my first winter and night shift. Went up like 30 pounds in about four months, and then it dropped again, and I've kind of cycled a few times. Sometimes it's been fat, sometimes it's been muscle, and I try hard to be someone who practices what I preach as much as possible. And a big one for me is eating to support activity. It's like a lot of you, I'm in a decently heavy training cycle right now. A long run, I do something almost every day, right? Long runs, speed sessions, lifting. I also do climbing. I did my first jujitsu class last night, so it's probably a thing I'm going to keep doing. I coach in person, so a lot of demoing and walking around a gym. And as a result, I need to eat about 3,000 calories a day. And I'm currently not a huge fan of the way I look, especially with my shirt off. And I just see a lot of like softness in places I don't want. Some of that is body dysmorphia, because other people tell me I'm just seeing shit, and I really kind of have to believe them. And I've long since come to the conclusion that I don't have a very realistic perspective on how I look. I've done a lot of work, but there's still part of me that's like that 12-year-old kid who got made fun of a lot for being fat. But I'm dealing with it, because a year ago, I could barely run, you know, a mile well. And this past weekend, I ran 14 miles with over 4,000 feet of both gain and loss. And I didn't get injured, and it was really fun. So even though I find the appearance aspect frustrating, I really could change that fairly quickly if I wanted to. I'd start lifting, I'd drop the high-intensity cardio, and I'd eat less. But I'll be damned if I lose the results that I've been working so hard to get or get injured again because I just hate being injured. I've been injured so much. So if anybody hearing this has like that battle going on, just know you're not alone. And remember, you can target fat loss and you can target performance, but it's really hard to target both at the same time. So if you're enjoying how you're performing, please lean into that, because even recreational ultra runners train as much as some professional athletes in other sports. So take care of yourself like a high-level athlete, because you're training like a high-level athlete. So, it's my soapbox. It's been a weird day and a weird week, so I wanted to get that out there. On to the topics of the day. Let's talk about running steep fucking mountains. Downhill. I've been thinking about doing 
this topic anyway. And then Fabi asked me to cover it, so I figured I'd go into a bit of it, a bit of a dive on it. Downhill. How do you get better at running downhill when you're a flatlander, right? Like when you don't live, I'm staring out at like Snowbird where they run speed goat 50K. Like I'm very privileged. I realize it's not the entire country. So how do we get better at running downhill when we don't have that access? What sets downhill apart? Called an eccentric muscle contraction. When you're going downhill, you're hammering your quads because even though your leg is bending, your quad is contracting. So you're creating tension in your quad, even though the muscle is getting longer. We need to think about a quad, your quadricep and how it usually contracts. When your leg's bent and you straighten it, that is your quad contracting, right? That is your quad quadricep. If you look at the video, mimicking on my hand, here's your quad. When it gets shorter, your leg contracts. When we are going downhill, even though we're going from straight to bent, we're getting a contraction here because you're trying to stabilize, you're trying to drive through your quadricep, even though the muscle is technically getting longer. And that just hammers your muscles, right? It creates a ton of muscle damage. Bodybuilders have been leveraging this in their lifting to get bigger muscles for decades. And it just does so much damage. When they repair, they get bigger. That's great if you're trying to get bigger muscles, but it just destroys you. So when it comes to running, the limiter for your uphill is typically your lungs. When it comes to downhill, the limiter is typically your legs, right? So uphill, lungs, downhill, legs. So what we need to do is get stronger quads. That is how we can really help. And we need to mimic those eccentric muscle contractions. So if you can't go out to the mountains and hammer downward, downhill, we need to figure out how to mimic that somehow. There are a bunch of options. If you have any skyscrapers, you can take the elevator up it and then run down the stairs. <laughs> and that sounds super boring. It probably will be. But if you're really looking to get better downhill, it actually works really well. It has been used by a lot of very good runners and it's deeply effective. We can get the same thing for going uphill. Take the, take the stairs up, take the elevator down, right? So depending on what your deficiency is, skyscrapers are at least like something with multiple floors can do it and you just do repeats. Even if you have a small but fairly steep hill, we can work on that too. So if you have like a couple hundred feet, great, run up it, walk down, run up it, walk down if you're trying to work on the uphill. If you're trying to work on the downhill, repeat that. Bomb the downhill, walk back up it. Bomb the downhill, walk back up it. These are options we have. If you literally have no access to any sort of elevation, if you live in the flatland in the middle of like farmland, right? Like let's think you're not near tall buildings, you're not near much of anything other than like a couple floors, you have no access to hills. Strength training is really our key here. And you're going to want to accentuate those long eccentric movements during strength training. What that means is spend more time on the quote like down portion of the motion. Specifically things that tend to hammer your quads because that's what we're really trying to build. So a big quad builder clearly squats, right? Like we've done a bunch of squats. Um, we've talked a lot about squats, but if you're really trying to build that part of your quad that hurts when you go downhill, 
if you have access to a hack squat machine, that would be lovely because it hits that middle quad in a way that very few things do. So we can put weight on that hack squat, this nice slow lower for like a count of four or five, and then explode back up. Nice slow lower, short pause at the bottom, explode back up. We call this like a four, two, zero count. So four on the way down, two at the bottom, zero on the way up, just get up there. And that can be really effective for building quads. We also have Bulgarian split squats. That is actually gonna hit more of this like front head of your quad right above your knee, which isn't what most people feel is super sore when they go downhill, but it's really important because that is one thing that keeps your knee really stable. So even if we're not necessarily doing a lot of this work to, to mimic that downhill running, it will keep your knee really safe as you go down those hills. We can also get into things like leg extensions. If you have that, if you have access to a gym, leg extensions explode out, really slow lower. Explode out, really slow lower. And then single leg presses actually work really well too. So we can lay on our back, press up, slow lower, press up, slow lower. Whatever we're trying to do here, we want to go nice and slow on that eccentric part of the movement, right? Like that is really key to building there. Even if we only have body weight, we can absolutely get a slightly narrower stance than we would for some squats, really slow on the down, and then explode up. Split squats would be the same, lunges. The big theme is accentuate that down phase. And then some other things that can really help for downhill would be heavy sled drags that also really hammers your quads. And then aside from moving weight around, the other thing that tends to be a big thing for downhill is agility. So as I was coming down this weekend, I almost fell a couple times. And it actually is like my back and forth cutting background from other sports that probably saved me. And I ended up just like skiing down rocks a couple times. Not the best idea. I don't recommend it. Um, but one thing that can help build that would be an agility ladder. They're super cheap. I actually made one out of tape when I was living in Korea. But you get an agility ladder, look up some patterns to do, and get your footwork up. If you can get faster feet, and if you're watching this, you can see me mimicking it with my hands. There's a bunch of patterns you can do that will help get your footwork faster and your reaction time a little better so that you are gonna be a little better on trails. And even if we're looking at flat on trails, find something with some roots, some rocks, some things that might like jump out at you for back of, lack of better term and work on your footwork. Because if there's something like close second to straight quad strength on your downhills is going to be your ability to like read a trail well and put your foot in the right place. Because the last thing you really want to do is constantly be slowing down on your downhills. If you're doing that, you're making that like quadricep uh, damage even worse. Because what really causes that damage is the constant catching yourself as you're going downhill because it's constantly like shortening and like causing that contraction. Theoretically, if you had the fastest feet in the world, you could speed down the mountain like um, the Roadrunner from old Looney Tunes cartoons 
and your quads actually wouldn't take that much damage. You just like let gravity do its thing. But we have to keep ourselves in control, so you're going to cause a bunch of that damage. But if you can get faster feet, you can mimic that a little bit, shorten your steps, and then you're going to be able to move a little faster down the hill. So agility ladders and strength work are really your best stuff. If you have access to nothing, and then stair and or like hill repeats will also help too, a lot. And just like our uphill work, you can make a lot of improvements on downhill with very like minimal time spent, right? Like it's a very high um, reward for minimal time input. If you have any questions on that, pop them in the chat, um, pop them in the comments. I'm gonna move on to our next question for Question Corner. So from Tara, is there any advice from trying to do like math or heart rate training and your pace is currently 1330? So I feel ya, <laughs> this was me uh, very recently and I'm still not fast, right? It's just been, it's just better than it used to be. So yes, um, the short version is keep at it and commit to your process. So the only way you're gonna get better at slow running is by doing more slow running and it just kind of sucks. And make sure you're actually in that zone. That said, you also should be doing some other forms as well. So the majority of your work should be low and slow. And then we should do some of this speed training. Because as you raise any of your abilities, so lactate clearance or your VO2 max or your math, everything else rises. It's like rising tide raises all ships. Same stuff applies to training. So we want to spend time there, really get that work and that practice in. No matter what it takes, if you have to walk some, that's fine. But you also want to spend a little time on the other stuff as well. That said, you might also want to check if your aerobic heart rate is where you think it is, because sometimes those math estimates can be wrong. They're often wrong. Your aerobic heart rate changes day to day, right? Like this is a thing that we know. Your like, perfect heart rate is not really a thing, it fluctuates. And if it fluctuates in you as a single human being, it definitely fluctuates from person to person. So while these equations or estimates are useful as a population, they don't actually always make the best predictor for you. So what else can we use? The gold standard would be to get a lactate test. You would go in, you get tested for when your lactate spikes. Once it starts to climb over two, that's probably your aerobic like area, right? But they're annoying, they can be expensive. You have to stab yourself a lot of times with tiny needles, like think diabetic finger prick is the exact same system. So even if you, and then even if you buy the stuff to do it yourself to save some money, one, it's tedious, two, you constantly have to be washing your hands. Strips are like two bucks a piece, so it's still expensive. I'm a fan of this uh, conceptually. I think in practice, it's often really tedious. So another way to do it would be use like a <clears throat> gold standard field test, like go out and run and figure it out. And one of the better ones is Joe Friel's 20 minute lactate heart rate test. Joe Friel is like a legendary coach, right? I own one of his books around here somewhere about triathlons. And he had determined a pretty simple short field test to figure out your lactate pace or lactate heart rate. 
you have to do it alone. He stresses this aggressively. <laughs> you have to do it alone. Go warm up for about 10 minutes, then run. Ideally at a steady pace for 20 minutes. And then by the end of the 20 minutes, you should be cooked. Like you can't do much more. And this can take a bit to dial in, but even if you get close, it will give you a really good picture. So once you have that, determine your average heart rate over those 20 minutes. When I did this, I was a little off. So my like first uh, 10 minute block was a little faster than my second 10 minute. It was pretty close. And my average heart rate over the course of those 20 was 180. So once you have that average, you're gonna subtract 5%. So for me, that would bring it to 171. This is because your 20 minute is going to be faster than your lactate. Your lactate is what you could hold for about an hour, but that becomes harder to predict unless you've done a lot of like 10Ks or really fast half marathons if you're a like top level athlete. So 20 minutes is just a faster way for most of us to do this. And then once you've subtracted that 5%, so for me it'd be 171, then you get 85% of that. So multiply it by 0.85. So for me, that's like the mid 140s. So it's actually pretty close to what my math estimate would be. But I didn't know that until I did this test. Um, it's actually technically higher than my math estimate would be because I get sick fairly often because I have shitty nasal passages and I haven't done a lot of aerobic training. So my math estimate would actually be like 140 or high 130s because I'd get like the subtract 10 variable. And it's actually closer to like subtract four or five. So it's a little higher of an estimate than it should be. So this is a worthwhile thing to do. It takes a half an hour. It's not terrible. It's not pleasant, but it's not terrible. You have to push really hard for 20 minutes and then you can figure this out. And it's worth doing if you're gonna use some of this like heart rate based training to get a better number than a blanket equation that's supposed to apply to everybody. Next question from Melissa. What are the best ways to stay in shape when you can't run for a few weeks but still hope to be able to do summer races? No pool access, have a bike and elliptical, not allowed any hard impact, foot hitting the ground. Um, and then I got a follow up from someone else, Denise. I'm gonna be off running starting this Friday for eight weeks and I'm off walking for exercise for two weeks. Besides the doctor already telling me to only walk as far as I'm comfortable, will working on my distance walking keep me from losing too much running endurance? Okay, um, sorry, I was saying I asked them both a question. There's nothing in here. Okay, so the best way to stay in shape is whatever you can do, right? Like that's really, really the short answer. Um, it's you have access to a bike and elliptical. Both of those are fine. Get on there and get moving and try and get your heart rate up. Um, the elliptical is probably a little better as it kind of mimics a running gait, but we're, we're starting to split hairs. Either way, is going to be fine, especially for that aerobic work. Get your heart rate up, don't get it up too high, move, right? Like we see a lot of um, the Norwegian Olympic team, they did a ton of aerobic training on a bike in order to supplement their other training. We're talking hours per day. And it really worked because it was low intensity, they could do a ton of it, they just did it throughout their day. So hop on there and get to it. We can also say that there is some crossover from systems. Yes, your heart rate is going to be different on a bike than it would be running or elliptical or what have you. But 
we can train our body to get better at lactate clearance even if we're not necessarily doing the sport. It's not ideal, it's not perfect, you're not necessarily building running form, but you are building internal systems that can help you. So lactate's a really good fuel. We make a bunch of it. One of the things that separates higher level athletes from like lower athletes is we all make a lot of the same fuel. They're much better at using it. So if we can train ourselves to get better at using lactate as a fuel, we become faster and end up having to push less and our running economy gets better and all sorts of stuff. So we can use the bike for that purpose. And like I talked about in speed work, we would do lactate intervals here. So you would go fairly slow for a warm up, like 10 to 15 minutes, and then you would push hard, like an eight out of 10. It should be unpleasant for about 10 to 20 minutes. I like 12, 12 or 15, it's kind of my sweet spot. And then you're gonna go low and slow, let your heart rate recover for half that time. So if you did a 12 minute interval, you're gonna go low and slow for six, and then you're gonna repeat that a couple times, then you're gonna cool down. That's a lactate interval session. You can do that on a bike, and it will help your lactate clearance. It doesn't have a perfect transfer over to running, but fitness improves fitness. So that would be one way that you can, could make that happen. And then strength training is also highly applicable, right? You don't need, depending what your injury is, um, I, I know enough about uh, the person who asked this, so I'm trying to kind of minimize, but if it were a strain in the tendon, then this might be different than if it were a stress fracture, right? Like we don't want to be like pounding a stress fracture, whereas like a tendon, we also don't want to be pounding, but we could probably put a little more weight on. It really depends where your healing process is. If your stress fracture is um, mostly healed, then we could start to do some lifting. If it's not yet healed, then we really can't. Tendon is going to be more of a flexion issue. So like you probably be limited on some squats because you couldn't like strain that tendon in certain angles. It really depends on what your injury is. But strength training would definitely help. The movements might be limited depending on the injury, but the fact that strength training will help you is also a way that you can get ready for some summer races, even in recovery. So access some of those um, aerobic or lactate zones on a bike or another device that works well for you. And then let's target some strength training. And that could be as simple as like single leg elevated glute bridges, right? Like if we're trying to get better at climbing, then we want to make our glute max and our hamstring stronger. And one really good way to do that is a bridge or a hip thrust. And if we can't load it with weight, then let's elevate. It'll actually take some of the weight off of the foot. And then we will drive through the glute and hamstring and we can load that heavier by making it a single leg, right? Like that is absolutely an option. Cool. So Melissa felt um, willing to share. I have Achilles tears too, second x-ray and ankle tomorrow. Sweet. So that sucks. I'm really sorry. I know I talked to you a couple months ago and that blows. So um, that is going to definitely limit your ankle flexion, right? So if like we're, we're here, like you can't come all the way forward into your ankle. So I would actually work probably on hamstrings um, there. Talk to your doctor, not a doctor, blah, 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 PT. We, we know. Um, 
you should know this because you and I have ch chatted, but drive through your whole foot. If you have less flexion in your, if your foot is farther away from you, from your glutes, as you drive into that bridge, you'll have less flexion on that Achilles. You'll be able to still build your hamstring. You're not going to get into your glute as much, but it's not going to drive quite as much through your Achilles. So that would be my like offshoot recommendation is something like that. And we can adapt that to whatever you're doing, but that's the kind of work. And if nothing else, core work, um, spinal erectors, like we can do supermans, we can do reverse crunches and find some obliques for stability through Russian twists, but any kind of strength work that would apply to your running would be super useful. And then bike and elliptical for like targeting those aerobic development zones. I really hope that's helpful. If you have any questions, pop them in since you're here. And then Denise, um, your follow-up, well, working on distance walking, keep me from losing too much running endurance. Yeah, you're, yeah, it'll help. Um, eight weeks off running, exercise for two weeks. Beautiful. Um, yeah, it'll absolutely help. And depending on what you do, you're, are able to do, I'd say you have some of the same options as Melissa. So I don't know if, what, what the issue is, why you're eight weeks off, but if it's an injury that prevents you from um, breathing, then this might not apply. But if it's specifically like weight bearing, then it would definitely apply that you could also get on a bike or an elliptical or maybe even the pool, right? Like those are potential options. And then distance walking can always help, especially if we're looking towards ultras, right? Like you're going to spend a lot of your ultra time walking. You're going to spend a good amount of trail race time walking. And we like to call it power hiking, but it's a walk. So if we can build up that walking pace, then we're going to get better because it is way easier or way faster to build up our floor than it is to build up our pinnacle, right? Like I'm pretty good at downhill because of my past sports background. I suck at uphill. Like That is the thing I know and I've been very open with. So the fastest way for me to get better is to improve my uphill hiking. And I've been working on it. Um, a large chunk of that run this weekend was me working on that. And we can, if we can build that floor, if we can build our walking pace, build that um, like uphill hiking pace, then that can help quite a bit. So yes, distance walking will definitely help. You could even weight it. Um, wear a weight vest, put some weight in a pack, uh, strap a brick and some bubble, bubble wrap and put it in a backpack, whatever your makeshift weight vest would work as. But Ian Sharman, like popularized an entire running company on his use of weighted hiking. It works really well. So add a little weight. That could even be your running pack with just some extra weight in it and go for a walk. Keep the pace up as much as you can tolerate and then kind of push that, raise the floor rather than trying to raise the ceiling. A lot of us in our training spend a ton of time trying to raise the ceiling and we could do better by just raising the floor a little bit. Hope that's helpful. Um, I think that's all the questions I have for today and pretty much all I was going to touch on. If you have any questions still, put them in the chat, but it doesn't look like it. So I'm going to head out and go teach another class. I hope this was helpful. If you have any like questions you'd continue to like answered, pop them in the comments and I will be back next week with another one of these. Thanks so much for, for watching this. Appreciate it. Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the show. To be clear, I'm not a doctor nor a registered dietitian, and nothing you heard was medical advice. You should always speak with a qualified medical professional before making any changes to your training regimen. If you enjoy the podcast or found it useful, please take a couple seconds to give it a rating or share it with a friend. 
Every little bit helps. And if you want more of this information, please head to the Trail and Ultra Running Nutrition group on Facebook. You'll be in good company with other like-minded people who like to do hard stuff outside.